Do you guys ever walk through this campus thinking that everyone knows you, but no one really knows you? See, that was me. I, um, halfway through my college career, in my junior year, I decided to face something that happened in my past that would dramatically change me. I came in freshman year, I was from North Carolina, I was a Southern Belle, I wore all the pearls and the pink polos, and I had the outgoing personality and the y'alls, and I talked to everyone and loved everyone, and then junior year, I transitioned into this person who dealt with shame and guilt and fear and overwhelming hurt. And I felt like everyone who had known me didn't really even know me anymore. I've known for a while that I need to share my story, but I really wanted to share it in a way that you see how great God is instead of how significantly deep my pain is. So throughout my journey, and mainly this year, I was reading a lot of verses, and I'm always drawn to the verses that talk about how God gives us peace and comfort, and I was drawn to this other verse. It kind of hit me in the face. and I read a lot of verses because I'm a ministry major, so it's kind of my job. And I came across this verse in Hebrews. If you'll turn with me, it's Hebrews 3, 12 through chapter 4, verse 2. And the thing that hit me about this is it wasn't as gushy and mushy-feely. It was kind of harsh and hard to accept. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses and with whom he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should have seemed to fail to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. It's kind of heavy. So this passage in Hebrews is written, and we don't know who the writer is, um, but the writer wrote to the early church because people were turning their backs on God. Now, a lot of you are probably like, that makes a lot of sense. A lot of people turn their backs on God. But this is a little different because the early church devoted their whole life to spreading the word of Jesus. They put their lives in danger. They met in churches and, or in houses in secret for churches. They changed everything about them. They radically disrupted their world for the sake of the name of Jesus. So if they were turning away from him, there was something big probably going on. Verse 13 says, exhort each other as long as today is called today, which sounds pretty urgent. See, this writer wasn't just writing a letter. It was an urgent call, an urgent aching saying, please don't turn away. There's still something left and you can see it. And that made me think, do we ache for each other on this campus? See, the early church is a community, a tight-knit community. In Iowa, we love to say the word community, right? Like, we love community. We all need t-shirts to say community, NSO week, like, throw them out of a trash. It just community, community, community. We all fight over the same drinks and macan. Some of us fight over the same girls and boys 
probably more fighting over the same boys and girls because of the ratio, but whatever you think. We brush her shoulders walking through the mall way during class change, and we get really mad when someone's walking too slow, especially if you were in corral for three years like me. Um, but we call ourselves a community, but are we really a community? When was the last time your friend asked you how you were doing and you said, I'm fine, or I'm good? Or maybe you switch it up and you're like, there's a really big test today, but I'm good, thanks. Why? Why don't we tell what we're feeling? Why don't we tell what's going on? I think it's this overwhelming fear that we're going to be judged, that someone's going to look at us and think that we're dirty or low. And so I think that we really need to change that. And how do we become a vulnerable community? Now, don't freak out. I'm not asking you to come stand on the chapel stage and air out your dirty laundry, which is kind of what I'm doing right now. But I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to change your perspective. So what if instead of being someone that tells others how they're feeling, you become someone that others can tell how they're feeling? You welcome vulnerability. So when someone comes to you with a problem that they're facing, whatever it may be, whether they're struggling with their sexuality, whether their parents just got divorced, whether they're in such a deep depression they can't even see, you don't judge them. You don't put yourself on a platform of righteousness and look down on them and say, sorry, sinner. You don't use them as a sermon illustration. You don't use them as gossip in your dorm room. You don't use them to make yourself feel better, but instead you walk with them in that. Instead, when you see pain, you feel pain with someone else. You weep with them. There's a lady, her name is Donna. Uh, I met her in one of the churches I was in, and she did this for me. When I started putting all the pieces back together of my life, Donna was there. And there were times that I had to rely on Donna's faith because mine wasn't strong enough. Because I was so burdened, I was so low. But even as the pieces fell into place and she was there for me, I found sometimes that it was easier for me to live as a victim than in freedom because freedom was scary and I had to realize a traumatizing picture. Which brings us to our next group, the Israelites. See, the Israelites felt the same way. They thought it was easier to live in the known captivity of Egypt rather than the unknown freedom of the wilderness. So God split the sea in front of their very eyes, gave them a leader and a promise, but they still wanted Egypt. They still said they wanted to go back to the place where they were held captive for 400 years. Now, before you roll your eyes or think that's crazy, you have to understand, captivity was their life, not freedom. They understood captivity. They knew how to live in it. They knew where their meal was coming from. They knew who to trust. They knew where to go and what their day was going to look like. They didn't know the wilderness. The wilderness was rough and it was unpaved. They didn't understand it. They didn't know it was out there. Verse 17 talks of how some Israelites didn't make it to the promised land because of their unbelief and they turned their backs on God. How devastating is that? It was right there. But because they couldn't get out of Egypt, they didn't make it. But see guys, I understand the Israelites. I've walked through the split Red Sea only to turn my back and make a calf of gold because I wanted to be in my captivity. I wanted to be in my hurt. And maybe this is you. Maybe your hurt is so familiar that you want to go back to Egypt. But before you make that decision, let me tell you the third perspective in this verse. And that's the perspective of God. Where was God in all of this? See, the Israelites were saying, God, you've abandoned me. And can you imagine what God says in that moment? 
He's looking down, he goes, are you kidding me? Like, are you serious? I gave you Moses, I gave you Aaron, I split a sea in front of your eyes, you walked through it and then your enemies were crushed. I've given you manna, I've given you a pillar. What more do you want? Of course I haven't abandoned you. But the Israelites weren't the only ones that did it. We go to the early church, they did it. It's like, God, you've abandoned me. And God is probably like, are you kidding me? I gave you my son and you crucified him. And one of his best friends was denying him while the other one betrayed him. He had to carry his own cross through a crowd because all of you were too busy spitting on him to even help him carry it. They had to get a stranger to do that. How are you, I've abandoned you? Seriously? But see, I've done this. I said, God, you've abandoned me. I said, God, where were you? Where were you when I was five years old and I was being sexually molested by a member of my extended family? And where were you when I was 16 and I was going through abusive relationships sexually, emotionally, and mentally, and I was being destroyed to my core? And where were you when I was 17 and I wanted to commit suicide? Or when I was 18 and I couldn't even look in a mirror because I hated myself so much I couldn't even stand to see myself? Where were you? And I thought that for a long time. But then as I got deeper into it, I realized God hasn't abandoned me. See, if we think about it, God has been abandoned more than anyone, right? He's been abandoned by nations, by his most beloved servants, us sitting in this room. In fact, God doesn't ever abandon you, but when you're hurt, he weeps for you. Scripture says that God weeps for you. And for some reason, we don't talk about that. I don't know if it's because we're afraid of talking about God being emotional, as if that makes him weak, because it doesn't. And if you think emotions make you weak, then we need to talk afterwards, because I'm a really emotional person. But back to the point, God weeps for you, and he sees you. When you're breaking, he's breaking. A love so strong for you that it can be broken because it hurt. So about a year ago, I did something called a freedom session. I don't know if any of you are familiar with what that is. I went into a house and I had three people lead me through a time of prayer for about three hours to seek freedom from everything I was going through. Um, and when I did this, they said, Emily, can you walk us through your abuse that you remember as a child? I was like, okay. And at this point, it wasn't a problem to do it because I was so numb in my heart that it wouldn't faze me. So I began, and I talked about being on the couch in the basement, the magazine beside me, the Dallas Cowboys football game in front of me. Um, I had, was wearing a rainbow shirt that had a zipper right here, and there was a little butterfly on the end of it. I would always play with it and put it in my mouth. And I spoke all these vivid details, and I said what he did to me and what had happened. And then they said, okay, Emily, why don't you try that again, but tell us where God was. I was like, challenge accepted. I will tell you because he wasn't there. So I go through the same exact experience, and I said, I was on the couch. I was five years old. There was a magazine. There was a Dallas Cowboys game. I had my rainbow shirt on. I had a zipper, and I put the butterfly in it. And they stopped me and said, no, 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 no. Emily, where was God in that? I said, are you joking? He wasn't there. And guys, I've had like years of theological training at this point, so I knew God was there in my mind, but I didn't know it in my heart. You can know something in your mind and not know it in your heart. 
And I said, he wasn't there. Because if God was there, how could that happen to an innocent five-year-old? How could I be scarred for life because of that? And they said, let's try this one more time. And you look at the perspective of God and tell us where he was. So I said, okay. And before this moment, whenever I had envisioned God, if he was there, which I didn't think he was, I envisioned him in the corner being like, oh, sorry, that's really rough. I hope that you get through that. Or above me being like, man, I wish that there was something I could do. Or even saying, you dirty, shameful daughter. You've messed up. Even though it wasn't my fault. And so I went through that last time and I said, okay. I walked him through the story. I said, I was five years old. I was on a couch in a basement. There was a magazine beside me. The Dallas Cowboys game in front of me. A rainbow shirt. And before I could even get to the butterfly zipper, I started bawling my eyes out. And they're like, what is it, Emily? And I said, guys, he was there. He didn't abandon me. He was holding me in that moment. And I could feel like tears over me because he was weeping for me. I didn't have to be scared because he took all of it. I didn't have to be afraid in that moment because he held me and he took all that fear and he took all that hurt so I wouldn't have to feel that. God doesn't abandon us. Even if you can't see him, he doesn't abandon you. See, it doesn't matter where you are, whether you're in Egypt or the wilderness or in the worst time of your life, God will never abandon you. And so why do I go to say all that? Well, I think there are three groups of us here today. The first group, I think, is the early church. Some of you, this probably hasn't resonated with you a lot. You don't really have something traumatic in your heart going on, or you haven't had this big, crazy experience. You're kind of like, okay, maybe you're called to your community. Maybe you're called to be what Donna was for me. How do you do that? Let me tell you. Maybe you need to pray that God will take away the blinders, and open up your eyes to the people that are hurting around you. Because I'm going to tell you something. There are people hurting around you. And not just in this world, but on this campus, and in this room, and in your very row. There are people that are co contemplating suicide. There are people that can't get out of bed in the morning because their depression is too heavy on their chest. There are people that are struggling with anxiety that they can't even be in public. There are people that hate themselves. They think they're unlovable. Those people are around you. And if you can't see them, you need to pray for your blinders to be taken off. Because maybe you're called to be there for them. Maybe you're called to weep with them and to rejoice with them and to love them and not just put their name on an index card and pray for them every two weeks, but to actually walk with them. Maybe you need to partner with them in that hurt. Maybe you need to speak truth in their life and let your faith carry them when their faith can't. Maybe there's another group of you. Maybe some of you are in Egypt right now. Some of you are in a part of your story that you're really not ready to face yet and you're not ready to go through. And that's what I did. I, I ran from it for a long time. I went in abusive relationship after abusive relationship after abusive relationship, and not because I wanted to be abused, but because it was known and it felt normal. Manipulation was normal and good. I don't know where Egypt is. Some of you may be struggling right now because you've gone through something like I have when you were a young boy or girl or a woman or a man. Maybe some of you have given something to someone in a relationship that you're never going to get back. Maybe you've given your heart and you're never going to get that back. Maybe some of you 
have felt abandoned, not because someone walked out on you, maybe because of death, or maybe someone did walk out on you, or your parents are divorced and you don't know what to do about it, or maybe you're dealing with some type of mental illness like anxiety or depression and you feel like you're never going to be free from it. But let me be clear about something. Egypt is not living in your hurt, it's living in your lies. So God can meet you in Egypt, but he doesn't create your lies. He doesn't create your hurt, that's Satan. So in order to walk out of Egypt through the Red Sea to the Promised Land, you've got to get rid of those lies. You don't walk out on your own strength, you walk out on his strength. And that's hard sometimes, because all we can see are our lies. But I'm here to tell you that if you are living in lies, those are not of the Lord, and they never will be of the Lord. And you've got to get rid of them, and you've got to take that step. God is not confined to the wilderness or the promised land or heaven because he split the Red Sea from Egypt's shores, not the wilderness's shores, not the promised land, but Egypt. He was there in their captivity, in their hurt. That's where God was. It's okay to hurt. It's not okay to live in lies. So you need to step out. You need to go to the next place, to the next group of people, which is the wilderness. And some of you are there today. And I'm here to tell you that if you're in the wilderness, that's okay, because I'm there too right now. See, I'm not coming to you with this message because I'm healed or I'm made okay. Guys, I'm still struggling. I have panic attacks like once a week. I deal with anxiety to where I can't walk around and I, I can't breathe. I deal with depression. I've been having flashbacks where I remember things that have happened to me that I didn't know. I'm living it right now. I'm in the wilderness. I know it's hard. And some of you don't want to walk forward in the wilderness. You want to run back to Egypt because you have a hardened heart. Because God didn't heal you the way that you thought you were supposed to be healed. Guess what? God's healing isn't defined to what we think healing is. And God is very, very good. He's a good, good father. But he is not confined to your definition of what good is. And listen very carefully, I'm not saying that it was God's plan for me to be abused. <laughs> he hates that more than I do. But if there's something about God, he can take something really, really crappy, if I'm allowed to say that on the travel stage, and take it to something good. So when God sees me, he doesn't see damaged goods. He's the only one, because I even see myself as damaged goods still. It's impossible for me not to with my human eyes. And that's why when I look for my identity, I'm not going to look to my abuse or my victimization, but I'm going to look to the Lord. Because that's where my worth and my identity and everything that I am lies, not in the other lies of Satan. So I'm not asking you today to be fixed or to lay down your hurt and never pick it up. Some of you can do that. Some of you, the Lord will release you from something in a moment. And that's awesome. And I absolutely love it when that happens, but what about when he doesn't? What are you going to do? Are you going to get mad? Are you going to turn your back? Are you going to run back to Egypt and live in lies? See, healing sometimes comes in multiple layers. It doesn't just happen overnight. I've gone to multiple healing services and come down to the altar and thought that that meant I was done, and then the next morning I wake up with it on my doorstep, and I'm like, God, you made a mistake because you took this last night. It's not like that sometimes. So I'm asking you not to be fixed, but not to run back to Egypt. Keep walking forward. 
Because if the Lord took you out of there, there's a reason. So you need to keep walking in his faithfulness. Don't lose faith on the one whose faithfulness will never run out. You need to keep going because there's nothing left for you back in the lies. So the band is going to come play um, a last song for a response. And I think that there are some of you today that may need to respond. I don't really know where you're at, but I, maybe some of you are called to your community. And maybe some of you need to come down here and plead that God take away your pride or the way that you see other people and judge or that he would just make you able to see the hurt around you. Maybe you're ready and you've been ready for this for a really long time and you're like, God, pick me and choose me and make me see the loss and make me see the hurt and help me, help me walk with someone. Maybe that's you and maybe you need to come down here and surrender that today and surrender that to him. And maybe some of you are in Egypt or the wilderness like I am. Maybe some of you need healing, but it's not going to happen overnight. Maybe some of you, it's a process. I don't know what you're dealing with, but maybe you need to grab a friend and come down to the altar and surrender that. And maybe you need to grab a friend for a couple reasons. First, so there's an accountability partner that knows that you're not finished and that this is a process and you're not done. Because if you come down to the altar today, you're not done. In fact, if you come down to the altar today, you're saying this is the beginning and I'm starting and I'm committing to this. And also, nobody's going to know why you're down here. No one knows what group you're with. This is between you and the Lord. And some of you really have desperately needed this for a long time. I know I have. So maybe you need to come down here and surrender this this morning. There are chaplains around here. There are plenty of people I would love to pray over you. I'd love to pray over you. But do it today, guys. It's urgent. This can't wait anymore. You can't walk through it alone. And I'm telling you, as someone who has walked through it alone, don't do that. Do it while today is called today. This life was never promised to be easy, but we were always promised to not walk through it by ourselves. Will you pray with me? God, we love you. And we thank you for being a good, good father and great God, we pray as we go into this time that you would touch hearts, that you would mend us and you would mold us, and that you would make us to where we are never the same, God. We thank you for what we are going to do. Lord, we pray for a wrecking across this campus, a wrecking across our world, where the hurt no longer have to walk by themselves, but they are joined with people that love them. God, we love you and we thank you. Thank you for how you show your love and your favor of us. In your name we pray. Amen. So for some of you, today is only the beginning. Uh, for others, it may be the end. Deliverance. For all of us, on Wednesday, we're inviting you to come back. And we'll have a praise and worship service where the focus is going to be on healing. Emotional, physical, other types. We're connecting with what happens today. If you've been delivered, we'll come back and praise together. If this is the beginning, let's come back together. And then we'll praise and worship God. And together, we'll do that on Wednesday. The faculty, the staff will be available. We'll pray with you. We'll celebrate with you. We'll anoint you. 
and pray with you as we celebrate what God is doing, has done, and is going to do for each and every one of us. And now let's receive the benediction. You, 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 you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, God's holy nation, his own treasured possession, so that you may declare the praises of he who called you out of darkness, out of shame, out of hurt, out of pain, into his wonderful light. And when you have suffered a little while, may the God of all grace, he himself, will strengthen you, empower you, and free you. So leave this place in the knowledge that you are treasured and you are loved. Leave this place in the commitment that he's calling you to journey with someone who's hurting. In the knowledge that he himself journeys with you and weeps with you in your hurt. Because he loves you. Go in peace.